Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Crampton, Chief Economist with the Initiative, and today we're going to be talking about news media funding and media regulation more generally. They're in flux. New Zealand is looking at a couple of legislative changes, one around content regulation, where the mismatch of different regulators are going to be brought into one centralized agency. At the same time, they're looking at media funding. So a couple of years ago, you would have noted that they were authorizing bargaining between the platforms, Google and Facebook, and well, maybe Twitter and others, if it comes to it, and the news media companies more generally to try to get the platforms to pay for news media creation. Now, there can be interesting public interest cases for government support for news media. There's a public interest in there being more journalism in a small country, but it's a little bit odd to be making the platforms pay for it. And it looks like legislation might drop on that yet this week. Canada has been forging ahead on this and might provide a few lessons about, well, what things to be watching for in our legislation and problems that they've been having there. With me today is Michael Geist. He's University of Ottawa's Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. His Substack and Twitter feeds are a must-read for anyone who's wanting to keep abreast on Canada's latest developments in tech reg, and particularly looking at the kinds of legislation that New Zealand is now looking at. So thank you for joining us, Michael. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So what's the backstory here? Where did this come from? So Canada, like a lot of countries, is been struggling, or at least our government's been struggling with the media's struggles. And this dates back, as it does, I think, in a lot of countries, quite a number of years. You know, you've, some governments are generally opposed to intervening in the marketplace and concerned about the implications of government getting directly involved for independence of the press. Uh, but our government made the decision a number of years ago that it would become more actively engaged. And it's tried a number of different measures. It started with a local journalism initiative where it provided direct funding for journalists. It's a pretty interesting model, actually, is they, uh, rather than funding the companies themselves, sought to fund journalists. And the one of the requirements as part of that program was that any of the work that those journalists would produce would have to be made available under an open license, under a Creative Commons license, so that it could be made more openly available to others to use as well, which I thought really highlighted that their goal was not to prop up companies, but rather to invest in reporting and some original journalism and trying to make it as broadly accessible as possible. You know, I think it's an it's an interesting initiative. There's a question as to whether or not it'll be renewed, but it's been around for some time. The That didn't satisfy some of our media outlets, though, and they continue to push for more support. And then that came in the form of a number of tax measures. We've got in Canada now a digital subscription tax credit, which provides a tax credit to individuals who subscribe to certain digital publications that candidly hasn't really moved the needle very much as the, the amount just does, isn't all that relevant. But what has moved the needle to an extent anyway has been a labor journalism tax credit where Certain news outlets, particularly newspapers, are able to write off about 25% of the costs up to a certain amount for each individual journalist. It's a pretty significant investment. We're talking about, over this period of time, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that comes essentially through tax credits. So we've done quite a bit already, but even that still wasn't enough for the media sector in Canada. So then the push was on to get big tech involved and particularly Google and Facebook. And what Canada ultimately did was follow roughly a model in Australia that essentially told the tech 
tech companies, in this case, truly only two tech companies, Google and Meta, that they would, if they linked to news content, in the words of the legislation, facilitated access to news content, they'd be required to negotiate agreements with various media outlets. And if they were unable to reach a deal, would go to some sort of final offer arbitration. And as we, I'm sure we'll talk about, that's led to a standoff between the government and big tech. I guess before we get there, just a couple of questions immediately came to mind. How did they decide which journalists to fund? Because I, I suspect that Canada is a bit like New Zealand, where there's a, been a lot more concern around disinformation, the extent to which government involvement in funding media isn't affecting the content of what gets reported. I think those concerns are probably overblown. But how has Canada gotten around that or have they? Yeah. So, well, I guess it, it, there's two pro. I mentioned at least two programs that that are implicated by your question on the the issue of the local journalism initiative, the the funding for for journalists. They essentially provide funding to other organizations that are designed to represent a particular sector. In fact, News Media Canada is is one of those, and they actually they they essentially run the run the program. With respect to newspapers, there are a couple of other and several other entities that run the program for, let's say, college radio or for a number of other sources. And so it's it's at arm's length that there can be applications from various media outlets that then can apply to have journalists supported. So the government provides the you know whack of money. Others make decisions as to who gets the money and how it gets allocated. So the government stepped away from that. It's a bit thornier with respect to tax credits, to be sure. And in that instance, what they did was establish a new qualifying definition that they call a Qualified Canadian Journalism Organization, QCGAO. You actually find it in this legislation that we'll talk about as well. And they created a separate body that would reach determinations as to who qualified as QCJOs. And they set a number of standards. Our tax authority set even more standards, so they're they're quite detailed, and they are limited just to what we would have traditionally called newspapers. So the government basically tried to say, we don't want to directly be in the game of deciding who qualifies as a news organization or not for these purposes. And so they handed it off to another entity. There has been some controversy associated with this, some concerns about the lack of transparency. Some of the information that you might think would be made available is not ostensibly because this is tax information. And so our tax authorities say that they can't disclose it for privacy or confidentiality reasons. So I don't think it's quite as transparent as it as it ought to be. In fact, I know it isn't. But nevertheless, that's the approach they've taken. So they wanted to get away a little bit from government getting as directly involved. My view would be that this legislation puts them very much back at the table, though, and they had insisted that that's not what they wanted, but where they've ended up is in some ways to be more involved now than they've ever have been in terms of some of the some of the kind of outcomes we're likely to see. It's fun to think about, too. Uh, I'm an economist with some interest in competition law and antitrust, and the setting an organization of news media outlets that gets to decide which of their friends gets to be in the club for tax credits and which ones are outside of the club for tax credits that almost sounds like a cartel enforcement mechanism, potentially, if the value at risk is, is substantial, right? So I'd start worrying about it on those grounds as well. 
Yeah, I know there have been concerns. There were a couple of entities that either applied or did not apply. Some some wouldn't apply on principle. Others applied just to see whether they would get it or not, to see if the system had been politicized or not. So there have been some questions around some of those issues. But there are other issues. For example, the government set the standard that it has to be general interest news. It can't be specialty news. Yet you know, we've had a number of entities that have been covered on the grounds that, well, it's general enough, I guess. So uh, a good example, and they've been pretty, I raised them in part because they've been quite vocal in support of this legislation, is an entity called The Logic, which covers the innovation economy. And it's it's a fee-based service. They do, I'm a subscriber, a lot of people like them. They've really filled a void in terms of providing specialty digital first news, but they qualified. And under the guise that the innovation economy was sufficiently general that it would be covered. But one could well imagine any number of other entities that would cover issues. It could be sports, it could be entertainment, it could be other sorts of issues that would not receive qualification because they were not sufficiently general interest. And that ultimately does fall to this entity, to this bo- this this board, in a sense, to to make some of those decisions. So it certainly hasn't been without controversy. But I will say that the you know the legislation we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. in some ways does away with that a little bit because basically it makes everybody eligible for the system. And, you know, many of the questions we had earlier about who would qualify, who doesn't now, much of that's been thrown out. The The standards are so broad that we're at the point in Canada where there are entities that aren't even required to produce news that are technically, that technically fall within the, the definition under the bill of an eligible news business. So there are two pieces of legislation that you've been concerned with that are coming through. Tell us a bit about each. There's one around link taxes and another one around content regulation. How is this going? Right. Okay. So sure. So, well, we could dispense, since we're focused on the media side, we could dispense probably pretty quickly with the broadcast one. And that was Bill C-11. It's been, it was the subject of a lot of debate in Canada. It took, took several years to pass as it was introduced. It didn't pass. It was reintroduced. And it started life largely around the notion of trying to bring in internet streamers like Netflix and Disney into the Canadian broadcast system and requiring them to make contributions into the system. Where it became controversial, at least during the legislative process, was that initial safeguards that the government had put into place to ensure that user content, the kind of stuff that might appear on YouTube or TikTok, would be excluded both the individuals would not be treated as broadcasters and their content would not be treated as a program similar to other programs you might find on conventional broadcasters. The government removed one of those safeguards and that left a lot of digital first creators deeply concerned that this was going to bring in a regulatory model into into their world. And I think, in fact, they were absolutely right. That's exactly what it it has the potential to do. That's not to say that the the regulation would necessarily dictate what they can say. It wouldn't, but it did have or would have real impacts. We've already had some groups say they would like to, to require some of the most successful of the YouTubers and TikTokers have to register with our broadcast regulator. If they incorporate and meet a certain threshold, that would essentially require them to register much like any other broadcaster does under this new system. And then there are a whole series of controversies over what are referred to as discoverability rules, the the notion of trying to make Canadian content more visible to end users. And while one might see why that 
why some might make, want to make that argument, although I think there's a debate to be had around, let's say, a service like a Netflix or a Disney about trying cu a curated service that decides for itself what's on the platform. And so they could be encouraged to promote certain kinds of content. Uh, that is quite different from what we've got in this system, which once you move into user content, suddenly you're, you're now playing with the algorithms. And it's sometimes even difficult to identify, well, who even qualifies as Canadian, let's say, for the purposes of user content on a on YouTube or on TikTok. So that was all included in it. That bill has now passed. It's before our regulator. And they're all, you know, the this the government actually tried to provide assurances that it wasn't really interested in user content. It provided what's known as a policy direction to the regulator to say it doesn't want to go there. But yet, as part of the sort of the initial response through the regulatory processes, some of the same groups that lobbied to include user content in the system now lobby are now arguing that you know the government should should rethink that commitment and in fact should allow for the potential regulation of some of this content so this this the, this piece of legislation as i say proved very controversial it's going to take at least a year or more as we sort through some of the implementation side of it the second i'm happy to answer any questions if you like about that bill the other bill that has direct implications for for the news media. This bill was known as Bill C-18. It passed just uh, before Parliament rose for our summer at the end of June. And we're now into this weird process where the government is establishing some regulations. But what it's really doing is seeing if it can't convince the two tech companies that are directly implicated by this bill, Google and Meta, to actually continue to link to news and thus pay. And get, at the moment, they may not, it, it seems quite likely that at least one, if not both, is, is essentially going to comply with the legislation by not linking. We can describe how that works, if you like, in a moment and leave the Canadian media sector far worse off than it was before the government intervened with this bill. I think we'll probably have to step back a little bit. I've been following this pretty closely because uh, I'm a farm boy from southern Manitoba originally, and I keep an eye on oh. these things. Most of the listeners in New Zealand won't be and will not have been keeping track of what's been going on in Canada. They will have been following a little bit what's happened in Australia. And I guess that that was probably what Canada was expecting to happen in Canada as well. In Australia, they set this regulation saying, OK, well, you're going to have to bargain. And if you don't, well, the minister can designate you and then you're going to have to do stuff to better fund media. And platforms there kind of seem to have played ball. The legislation got changed a little bit, but it's not turned into a nightmare. What's been different in Canada? Like what, what's been the process? Sure. So the, I mean, what we can take is that we can go back a bit in time just to say that, you know, you had some of our larger media outlets arguing for this approach and pointing to Australia as the model that they wanted to see adopted. The This particular law is, is in many ways quite similar to Australia. The Canadian government is fond of saying that they address some of the shortcomings of the Australian law. For example, they say, they mandate more transparency than the Australian law does. I, I must admit that the, the the amount of additional transparency is quite limited. I think it, it's limited to an annual report effectively by our regulator. But the, the notion that somehow we're now going to get specific details about all the various deals that exist or perhaps won't exist between these tech companies and the media outlets um, seems fanciful. It doesn't seem like that's likely to happen. You know, in the run-up to this bill, we did see quite a lot of deals between Facebook, Meta, and some media outlets, and even more from Google and many Canadian media outlets. 
And so it's not as if there aren't deals. There are, although both companies insist that the deals they pay for require some amount of value add. They say, listen, we we don't pay for links. We're not going to pay, let's say, to use Facebook as an example. Facebook says, listen, uh, the links that appear on our platform are links that are posted by our users. In fact, most of the links to news articles are posted by the publishers themselves. They refer the traffic back to the original publisher. They argue there's enormous amount of value there. That's a lot of free referrals where you can sell ads or subscriptions and the like as people get sent back. They say, listen, we don't know how many links are going to get posted. Those links are being posted, as they say, by our users. The idea that we are going to have to now pay for links from their perspective is enormously problematic. Google takes much the same position that they're deeply concerned by the notion of paying for links. And unsurprisingly, you're running a search engine that is premised around linking to all sorts of content. The idea that you'd have to pay for the inclusion of that content in your index by virtue of linking is unsurprisingly re really problematic. So they have deals, but those deals are generally in the, around the nature of some sort of access to content that isn't otherwise accessible, to giving a certain number of their users access behind a paywall. There's a number of kinds of things they've said they're willing to pay for, but links are not one of them. What makes this bill different is the bill essentially says, well, no, in this instance, you know, if you are what's in under the legislation known as a digital news intermediary, a DNI, and those are limited really just to these two companies. It's companies that have what are viewed as uh, a fairly dominant position, especially in the ad space, such that the negotiations that might exist between those companies and media companies, the argument would be that it's not a it's not a fair negotiation, that one side is just much more powerful than the other. And so those companies qualify. You know, some of your listeners, of course, will note that there are lots of other very big companies, some companies that are even bigger than these two companies. You know, Microsoft comes to mind and Apple comes to mind that are very active in the new space as well. But they don't qualify for this legislation. Twitter or X doesn't either. And TikTok doesn't either, although TikTok doesn't link to directly to news from within their app. So there are a lot of different platforms that play very important roles for people in terms of news discovery or facilitating access or learning about the news. None of the ones I've just mentioned are subject to this law, though. It's only these two companies. And the company's reaction has been that if the framework, and the framework is if you are a DNI, and as I say, it's these two companies, you have to then negotiate a whole series of agreements with another defined term, what are known as eligible news businesses, which like alluded to a few moments ago, really covers a really broad range of news organizations. It's not just print, it's also broadcasts or radio, television, a whole range of other entities. You've got to negotiate with a wide range of them. And our regulator is then tasked with making a determination as to whether or not the deals are good enough. You know, have you struck enough deals and are those deals enough to meet the government's policy objectives? If they are, that kind of ends the story. It's like, okay, fine, thank you. You've struck these deals. If they are not, then the system goes to a final offer arbitration system, baseball style arbitration, we'd often call it, where both sides provide their best offer, so to speak, and the arbitrator or the panel have to pick one or the other. I think it's fair to say that if it gets that far, it feels like the system is pretty heavily weighted towards the media companies, which is one reason why the platforms say that, you know, say that there's just no way that they can get to that end point. Either, either they're exempt or they're out of the law. But 
their final offer arbitration just isn't an option they want to see happen. And the same thing roughly played out in Australia, that they were they never wanted to see that happen. In Australia, they were able to effectively negotiate directly with the government. We're a little bit past that in certain respects because the law's already been passed. And so in effect, they are DNIs if they link. They are digital news intermediaries if they link. The government doesn't have a whole lot of say-so here. And that's partially why we have at least one of the two companies, Meta, saying that they are going to stop all news linking in Canada, and not just for Canadian news outlets, but frankly, for all news outlets globally. So Canadian users simply will not see news on the platform. In the case of Google, and we can I can explain that why that is in a moment, if you like. In the case of Google, Google has said that they may end up in that same space, but they are still negotiating or talking with the government as to whether or not there's some scope within the regulations to provide them with a bit more cost certainty about what they might face. And it seems like, based on reports, that Google is open to paying something. Facebook does not appear as willing to pay much, if anything. But Google is willing to pay something, but they're not willing to pay an unlimited amount. And they're not willing to go into a system where they don't have a good sense of how much they have to pay in order to avoid this final offer arbitration, which may mean if they can't get those assurances that they will also choose to comply with the law simply by stopping to link. It all seems crazy to an economist anyway. So the news media lost their money when they lost the classified ads. That's mostly eBay in the US, trade me in New Zealand. I'm not sure the equivalent in Canada. And one of the founding principles of the internet from when I grew up, right? It's, it's, Linking is free. Set up robots.txt if you don't want somebody linking or scraping or indexing your files. It's kind of an opt-out system. Paying for links kind of breaks the whole principle that the thing was set up on. Now, in some previous work, you've been talking about how inclusion of some outlets and not others, I think there's something equivalent to a media council there, might have meant that like Rebel News might have been the only one that people could still link to because they seemed outside of that system. You're now saying you're saying that uh, even foreign news outlets might be now covered by the link ban. What what's gone on there? Yeah. So, the you know, it well, listen, it, it's open to the platforms, I suppose, to decide how it is they want to comply with this legislation. And so the and, and so just to be clear that, that really they face in some ways two options. One option is if they link, they run into this and they pay. The other is simply not to link. And therefore, if you don't link, you are not, a, by definition, you are not facilitating access to news and you're no longer a DNI. And so you fall outside. And so the law would, if both if both of those entities stopped to link, we would have no DNIs in Canada and the law effectively would not apply to anyone. To In order to do that, that raises for companies, you know, how do you comply with that? And so we've had, for example, already both companies have, have indicated that they will stop put an end to the deal, existing deals that they have with news outlets. So it's already the case that you're taking millions of dollars off the table that they already have in place that will be lost by the virtue of the cancellation, leaving aside the fact that the legislation may not generate any new money. And there is this additional loss of the value of links. There's even there's real money that's being paid that will also disappear if these deals are canceled. Now, the way the legislation reads is that once you start getting into the question of, well, what does it mean to facilitate access to news? What news are we talking about? What news outlets are we talking about? There is not really a, 
a dividing line between foreign and Canadian. It's simply making news available to Canadians. Now, I think you can you could have a reasonable debate about, well, what's the risk to a company for linking to a news outlet that is not in the in the country and that is not otherwise eligible to to essentially use use this system to say, listen, I'm an eligible news business and I'd like to get a deal. That's not to say that foreign outlets are excluded altogether. They're not. And so foreign outlets that have a certain amount of a Canadian presence would be covered. So some of the very large international players, the New York Times, for example, a Guardian that may well have some editorial taking place and reporters taking place in Canada might still be subject to this. But the way at least publicly Meta or Facebook has said that they read this law, and there's a reasonable read for it this way, is that you know, if they make news available to Canadians and without, and it does, there is not in the legislation a distinction as to whose news, it's simply, you know, what would be seen as credible news outlets, then the the law gets triggered. And so, so far, it would appear that their position would be that at an abundance of caution, they want to ensure that they are not subject to the law. And so, or that the way they comply with the law is to not not to link. And so they will not link to any news from news outlets, whether Canadian or foreign, once this fully kicks in. And there have already been some reports that on Instagram, where they've really been testing this, I think, more seriously of late than on Facebook, although the expectation is it will be on both platforms fairly soon, that services like the New York Times and The Guardian have had some users crop up with what is becoming now this ubiquitous image of that says that this content is blocked in Canada due to the legislation. Wow. So here there've been some worries about well, what what's in and what's out. If it's membership of the media council that decides whether you're in, well, then things like, well, we, we have the platform here, which says that they're independent. They don't want to be subject to any of these. They could be the only ones that wouldn't be subject to a link tax. And so the only ones that could possibly be kept out of scope of the legislation, depending on what the legislation defines it as, because it's not dropped here yet. The other worry that we've seen, if we go back a little bit, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage here had commissioned a report looking at the value of links to news media outlets, and they wound up concluding that they provide substantial value. So it's not just platforms taking away from news outlets, it's that they're providing real value by driving traffic over to those sites. I expect that that'll be the experience in Canada as well. And you'd written about minor news outlets being particularly harmed by the legislation. How is that? How does that work? Yeah. So, and well, let me just pick up. I'll answer that question in a sec. But just I'll pick up on the the notion that links have value, and that's really what the platforms have been arguing. They've been saying, "Listen, we are providing real value." This is certainly one of Meta's big arguments: is that they say, "Listen, we provide a lot of value." And so you ought to recognize that as part of it. Now, the government would respond in saying, well, if we go to arbitration, we will consider both the value that's coming and the value that you gain and the like. But, you know, if you're if you're a business that says, you know, we don't control the links that get posted, the posts that are being posted, in fact, obviously, as we've been saying, by the publishers in most situations or the majority of situations, you know, that, that that's just creates a business risk we're not willing to entertain. Yeah. And in the case of Facebook, they say, listen, News is a pretty small part of people's feeds, about 3% of user feeds. And thus far, when they have tested the removal of news links, whether in Canada or the experience in Australia, they found very little difference in user engagement. So, you know, the 
the whole bottom line for a company like Facebook is user engagement. Keep them on the platform. That's in some ways the irony here. News, <laughs> news <laughs> is not great for Facebook for any number of reasons. You know, there are a lot of concerns about some of the things coming out of that platform, but it's also not great from a business perspective because it does the one thing Facebook doesn't want to do, which is send users somewhere else. So when, when news links are posted on Facebook, that's by definition is sending people out of the platform, which is something Facebook doesn't want. And so this idea that somehow Facebook will be desperate to continue to host news links that send users outside the platform fundamentally misunderstands how the platform works. Their goal is to keep people in that universe. This is not viewed as a loss. They're much happier with people looking at pictures of friends and staying within the platform than they are looking at news links and then clicking on those links and going outside the platform. So I think it's important that politicians at least that better understand why Facebook would look at this and say that from a business model perspective, it's not great. There is in the case of Google, a whole, whole separate story where of course search does by definition, send people out with those links. But if you're look, if you're in the business of selling ads against search terms, that's kind of search terms that are based on the news are typically not ones that generate a ton of money. You know, online gaming or health and pharmaceuticals, there's a range of different areas that are highly profitable for search engines. It's people searching for wildfires in Canada or, you know, whatever the news happens to be in any random place is not something a lot of advertisers want to advertise against. And so it's not a highly profitable vector anyway for those companies. But that's that's a that's a, an aside to get back to your specific question, though, in terms of why this has particular implications for independent and smaller media outlets. And that's because they tend to be more dependent on social media and search for building a community for building readership. So if you're a smaller digital first player that's trying to build up a business, unquestionably a core part of your strategy is going to be social media and search. And of course there's an entire business that has developed over the years called search engine optimization, where people are trying to ensure that they are more discoverable through search and through social media. So those entities are more reliant, more dependent upon these large platforms to build and grow their business than, let's say, a large established, let's say, the public broadcaster in Canada, who, you know, who who has a lot of name recognition, has been around for decades. People will know where to find the public broadcaster either way. That's not that doesn't mean that people don't use search and social to find articles or information at times from those from a public broadcaster from another large media outlet they might or they do but in comparison those companies are likely to still survive certainly if they continue to get public tax dollars they will whereas if you're a smaller player and in some instances it's half or more of your traffic is coming out of these sources the you know, they have, we've had a number of companies say that this is existential, that their ability to survive if that traffic is lost is, is really put in jeopardy. They, they, it, it just may represent too much of their new organic traffic where people just don't know them and don't know how to discover them because they don't find them anymore through social media or through search. So I guess as a summary so far, then the government was looking for ways to get big tech platforms to pay for the production of Canadian news 
and may have engineered a scenario in which if the government of Canada doesn't stump up with a huge amount of money to rescue a pile of smaller news media companies that are going to be killed by this legislation, they're going to have far less news media content than they had going in, a worse funding environment, less access to news, and potentially well, bigger problems with disinformation. Because if you can't link to authoritative news sites and the only things that you're seeing on Facebook are weird uncle rants, that's not ideal. Yeah, other than that, it's going really well. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that, that that pretty much sums it up. You know, the we had a system which clearly there was a desire to, to provide additional support. And there are, you know, the, there's 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 any number of debates taking place around the the state of the health of the media sector. I think people recognize obviously we've seen closures. We've also seen a lot of new innovation take place as well. Government rarely likes to talk about that, but that that is the reality. Lots of new startups have taken places have taken place as well over the last number of years. But regardless, even if it's your view that support is needed because news is there's a public interest in ensuring a robust, thriving news sector. And even if your view is that you'd like to see large tech companies contribute to that. There are better ways to do that than tie it as they do so directly to linking in the way that they have. And in doing so, despite warning after warning after warning, and certainly I, I was one of those people issuing the warnings, but there were many others. And the government, for whatever reason, just said they didn't believe it. They just decided they were going to go ahead and take the risk that, you know, Australia was always held up as the example that at the end of the day, these companies will find news too valuable for their platforms and they will cave. And, you know, what in doing so, they were putting at risk essentially three streams of revenue, the existing deals that they had, as we've said, worth millions that will be lost. The linking that is worth enormous sums in terms of free referral traffic in the e-commerce world. Those referrals are often paid for in many instances here. They're all free and that will be lost if we see the end of that linking and it's legislation that won't generate anything at all. Uh, the expectation was somehow that this was going to generate significant amount of money. If both companies are out, it doesn't generate anything. If even just Meta is out, and it seems fairly certain that they are, I don't see how this legislation ends up in a net positive. I mean, just taking the taking the Meta money off the table, taking those deals off the table, taking the Meta links off the table, I don't see how you can make up for that with a deal with Google if in fact they are able to strike a deal with Google. And I should note that, you know, the government had insisted all along that they did not want to get directly involved in the negotiations. The whole idea was, you know, they, they'd always describe it as we're setting the table. We're not at the table. It's the two other sides that are doing it. Now that of course required people to ignore the fact that they were setting all the rules as to who had to be at the table and what, you know, the confines or the structure, what the outcome had to be. So there was a lot of government intervention intervention, even within the legislation. But now there's even more because now we're at this regulation making phase where the government is, according to reports, talking directly to Google, essentially about what what a deal might look like. Well, now you've basically substituted Google negotiating with a whole series of media outlets with Google negotiating with the government over what the contribute what their what the value of their deals has to be in order to somehow find a way through regulation to say that it's 
sufficient such that they won't be subject to this final law of arbitration. So we're right back where the government said it didn't want to be, which is government negotiating with one tech platform and one tech platform saying, we're not even interested in negotiating. We're out altogether. It is an absolute disaster. And we've already had a number of, frankly, people who were proponents of the legislation who provided all these assurances that it was a bluff, just go ahead, you know, stand up to big tech <laughs> that are now saying, talking about the government basically needing to bail out its blunder by saying, well, maybe the government now will need to make up for all the losses that will be sustained due to this legislation. And so who's on the hook at the end of the day? Well, the public is, you know, to the tune potentially of hundreds of millions of dollars if the government actually takes a bailout approach. And let's let's be clear, the bailout in this instance isn't really bailing out the industry. It's bailing out itself out for having made this enormous miscalculation. What a nightmare. <laughs> Sorry, kind of, I kind of have to laugh at it here. It's just a terrible example. And it seems like our government's wanting to follow it. One aside, you talked about minor media outlets and how the CBC would probably survive this. I've understood that here in New Zealand, Radio New Zealand Pacific is largely distributed through Facebook and the Pacific Islands, that's been a major news source for them. So if Facebook were to pull out here, I don't know what RNZ is going to do to rejig its distribution channels out on the Pacific Islands, where that's been kind of a primary way that people get news. And there isn't as much news out on the Pacific Islands, right? New Zealand provides some of this as a public service. So that'll be a problem for us. Well, that's, you know, that's, listen, you can have a discussion as to, you know, the wisdom of relying on large internet platforms as your your key form of distribution. And and I think we are seeing in Canada right now the realization that this was a mistake to have left themselves as reliant as they are, to really have encouraged users to to use these platforms for discoverability purposes. And, And listen, people use these platforms for lots of different reasons, but having created that reliance, to they now find themselves in a tough position. And we've got some of our major broadcasters running now on regular streams of ads, encouraging people to you know subscribe to our newsletter, come directly to our website, basically yeah. all the things they probably should have been doing all along. Because despite all, as I say, despite all these assurances for months that there was nothing to fear here, just stand up to big tech. It's pretty clear that these companies are really worried and are, are at you know, at the the 11th hour, trying now to find ways to tell their users, well, we'll still be here even if we're not on Facebook and here's how you can find us. I got a couple of kind of final question, one minor and then one, one a little bit bigger. Canada has been having a whole pile of wildfires, at least here in New Zealand, Google and Facebook have been ways that people find out what's going on in emergencies. I use Twitter a lot more for figuring that out, but government has used Facebook as part of sort of emergency comms. It was done a lot during our COVID response. Have Google and Facebook also been blocking news during that part of the emergency or have they had an exception for the emergencies? Yeah, so they've said that, first of all, they at this stage, it's really just there's been some tests of it on Facebook. Google was not blocking anything at the time of the wildfires. Google ran a, a blocking test of news results or the removal of news links earlier this year, back in March. So there there hasn't been overlap for Google. They have said that they will address uh, emergency type situations and, and try to ensure that some of that information is out there. One of the things they've also said, though, of course, is that, that the 
key sources that people often use for that information is not news outlets, but is official sources. It's government information yep. and firefighters and a range of other sources that give that information. That's And that is not information, obviously, that's being blocked at all. So it's not as if people won't be able to find information about those issues on their platforms. But, you know, will, you know, will there be some of some stories around those issues blocked if this goes ahead and the wildfires continue? I think it yeah. seems likely that that they will. Now, the, the more substantive one, you've noted that the government kept claiming that this wasn't going to happen, that there's nothing to see here. Does it seem now like they just want to have a fight with big tech where they make big tech the bad guys in the coming election? Because I worry about that here. We're Our legislation is about to drop. Our election is coming up mid-October. Anybody who's looked at the Canadian experience would have to say, like, this is insane. Do not follow Canada. Whatever happened in Australia didn't happen in Canada. Maybe the economics around news links have changed. Maybe the platforms have figured out that news isn't really worth that much to them. Either way, you're in for a hiding if you go down this path. Is Canada doing this so, so that the government has these big, bad foreign tech companies to fight in a populist election? Or are they just stuck with something stupid? Can it be both? Okay. <laughs> Because I, I, but I think there are, I think there are elements of both here. I mean, it's it, you. One does get the sense that the government believes that fighting with big tech is a is is a politically advantageous position to be in. They they seem to think that it, that it sells. Uh, I must admit, I'm not totally sure that that's true across the country. I think this legislation and fighting with tech seems to be more popular in the province of Quebec as opposed to much of the rest of the country, and. Our heritage policies are often driven by interests in Quebec more than they are in the rest of the country. So, so in that sense, they would say, well, yeah, so this is politically a good position to be in. This does sell in Quebec and we want this to be able, we want to be able to sell this in Quebec. I, th I think, you know, generally speaking, the government has been the last couple of years much more comfortable criticizing tech, but I mean, that's true for a lot of governments right now, but it's it certainly has been true here. I do think though that at this stage, the government finds itself in a, well, frankly, they, they don't say this, but it's you can see by their actions, they recognize they're, they are in in a difficult position. They, they, you know, they, they don't want to appear weak because you can't appear to be taking on big tech and at the same time cave, even though that appears to be a little bit what they're doing with some of the conversations that they're having, at least with Google. But they find themselves genuinely facing some real problems they've they've pushed whatever buttons they have for example they've made the decision to stop advertising on on meta at the federal level so our go federal government and that's been followed by a bunch of other media companies and at least a couple of other provinces quebec and the province of british columbia have both stopped their advertising on meta they've not stopped yet on google they're holding out hope that google will be willing to strike a deal though if google if Google follows suit with in the same acts in the same way that Meta is moving towards, one would imagine that they would do the same and stop advertising on Google. I have to say that the that ad boycott might be a bit more effective if the government's own party, the Liberal Party, was also stopping to advertising, but they're not. So they're continuing to add because advertise because they simply feel that they put themselves at a political disadvantage if they stop advertising on Facebook and their lead competitor, the Conservative Party, continues to advertise. So, you know, the the when principle gives way to political expediency, it's 
the boycott, I think, is is in this case somewhat less effective. They've said they have other options, but I must admit, I don't really see options beyond either trying to stop the legislation from taking effect, but they actually just in the in the 11th hour of the legislation made a change that essentially said it's going to take effect by the end of this year, by the end of 2023. So they're in a pretty tough position in terms of trying to find a way to delay it, absent actually changing the law. And then beyond that, they if they don't change the law, they're left with this legislation as is. And really, as I mentioned, the only other option that started to get to be floated is government basically bailing it itself out here and saying, well, we'll whatever your losses are, and of course, it's just an estimate what the losses are, whatever your losses are from the lost links, we will compensate you by using public money to basically pay you. <laughs> it's astonishing. And, and you know, we, we started off by talking about the concerns around government intervention in the space. And we may end up with legislation that is the most interventionist possible, as it's quite literally the government, you know, paying out potentially hundreds of millions of dollars to the sector to make up for for the blunder of having you know sort of dismissed the prospect that by grounding their legislation in mandated payments for links as opposed to some of the other models that were available to bring those companies on board they've left themselves you know setting back their efforts to try to support the sector by years what a nightmare. So I guess a big thing that we should be watching for if the legislation drops this week or next week, does the legislation set a potentially uncapped liability on platforms if they allow links? And if that's the case, then we should probably expect that Facebook at least will leave New Zealand or in terms of news links and Google would be thinking about it. I think that's absolutely right. That's that's I think exactly where it is at. I think no one should be under any illusion that if the companies are faced with that kind of legislation and they say, listen, this is not for us a viable approach. So long as the legislation creates the ability to comply by not linking, in all likelihood, they will stop linking and the consequences will be very severe. You know, the heritage, our heritage minister at the time, anyway, Pablo Rodriguez, who shepherded this through, kept insisting that the world was watching Canada and wanted to take from that that these companies knowing that the world was watching wouldn't dare follow through with the prospect of stopping linking and of course just as the, i think the government's misunderstood the social media business model they also i think misunderstood the political calculation for these companies i think he was right the world is watching what takes place in canada and that meant that it made it more likely that the companies would follow through in fact i think at this stage because it's gotten the kind of attention that it has, the companies have really almost no choice but to follow through and take with the position that they're taking. Because to do anything other than that is to tell New Zealand or the US or any number of other jurisdictions that might be contemplating similar legislation that, in fact, it is just a bluff and that they will ultimately cave. And they are, I think, looking to change the channel from saying, well, take a look at Australia, even though I think what took place in Australia is poorly understood because. It is it is not the situation that they simply caved and went back. They were able to extract some notable concessions from the Australian government to kind of find a, a meeting in the middle, so to speak. In this instance, I think, you know, I think it's unfortunate for my country, but I think we are likely to find ourselves as as the model. They turn the page by saying, well, 
That's what happened in Australia, but don't forget what happened in Canada. And it's a more recent example. It better reflects the economics of the day and where the internet is today and provides or should provide a warning sign for any country, including New Zealand, that might consider this sort of legislation, that this is a risky, risky business model and or legislative model. And if you can envision alternatives, for example, a fund model or a taxation model that tries to ensure that these companies pay what you perceive to be their fair share and you find ways to allocate some of that revenue into the into the sector it's a much safer approach than than basing basing your legislation on payments for links with uncapped liability because in you may find yourselves in exactly the very difficult position Canada finds itself right now Michael thank you so much for the cautionary tale I am too used to finding cautionary tales from Canada in all kinds of cases. This is another one. Hopefully New Zealand takes the story and doesn't follow Canada's example. Thank you so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.